Welcome to Soul Journey. This is Samantha Jackson. Soul Journey is a different kind of podcast where I read my channel blog posts as well as interview interesting souls from around the world. With decades of guided wisdom that has led me to a life of adventure from Madagascar to Saudi Arabia, I feel it's time to share some of this guided wisdom with everyone. With an intense curiosity in all things spiritual, I see the diverse inner galaxy in everyone. And I want to share their perspective and knowledge on just about anything. Please follow this podcast on Spotify and share my episodes on any social platform with those you care about. In today's episode on Soul Journey, episode 12, Life Executive Coach Rashmi Dalal and I have an in-depth conversation about resilience. In our conversation, Rashmi tells us about her childhood and how it helped build her resilience, how she became a coach, how to grow our three core mental muscles, what saboteurs are, and how they cause stress and keep you from recovering, as well as a 10-second exercise to activate the region of your brain where your greatest wisdom lies. Whether you are battling internal or external struggles, you can always lean into your built-in resilience to help. And there are people like Rashmi who are there to guide us when we can't get past our mental saboteurs or are just plain stuck. Rashmi Dalal is an ICF executive coach, ACC, and a CPA. She is passionate about helping people strengthen their mental resilience and self-command while stepping into their full potential. With years of experience in high-stress corporate roles and overcoming a series of personal setbacks, she has successfully helped people overcome an array of challenges, including their inner critic, imposter phenomenon, burnout, conflict avoidance, major career life transitions, and more. Rashmi's coaching methodology includes extensive positive and emotional intelligence training, a strength-based approach, resilience and accountability tools, and mindfulness mastery, which all empower her clients towards achieving their goals and desired outcomes. You can find out more about Rashmi in this episode's show notes. And you can reach Rashmi on Instagram at transformational.coach or Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Rashmi.dalal. So sit back into something comfortable and enjoy this conversation about resilience. I feel that resilience is a very important topic for all of us to learn more about and to understand, to help us strengthen our inner resilience and learn how to overcome obstacles. Thank you so much for listening to Soul Journey. From my heart to yours. Hello, and I'm so happy to have Rashmi Dalal here as my very special guest today on Soul Journey, and we are going to talk about resilience. Um, and I asked I asked Rashmi to come on to the podcast because 
I wanted to know um, kind of a life coach perspective, a different perspective about resilience. And um, I'm just really, really happy to have you here. So welcome. Thank you, Samantha. It's always great to see you and talk to you. I love your presence. And I'm really happy to be here to talk about this very important topic on Mm -hmm. mental resilience. Yeah. Um, So you had, you know, asked about sort of the life coaching perspective. Yes. And what brought me here. Mm -hmm. So what brought me here to really hone in on resilience goes back to my personal stories. Yes. So it goes back to my childhood. I was an expat kid growing up, so a lot of moving around. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yes, yes. So you lived in a lot of different countries? So it's interesting. I was actually born in the UK, and I came to the U- US when I was two. Okay. Um, and then we moved around a little bit because of Saudi Arabia, because when I was a kid, I lived in Saudi Arabia. Oh. But to get to Saudi Arabia, I had to spend a little bit of time in India. Okay. So even though I was this Indian-American kid who grew up in the States, that was my first sort of um, challenge, dealing with a big change, like... Mm-hmm being in my parents' country of origin, Mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. for almost a year, Mm -hmm. and then moving to Saudi Arabia. Right. And then as I got older, moving back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. So these changes started my sort of path on resilience, because being the new kid, right, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, sort of being a third culture kid, um, being in Saudi at the time for four years, and then... This was back in the 1980s, so we were very sheltered um, in Saudi. There's oh. no internet. Oh my we're gosh. removed from the world. And then coming back to the U.S., where it's just a different energy, the demands are higher, being a teenager, and facing those challenges, even to some extent, some racism, again, back in the 80s, being Mm. of Indian origin. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of, again, the initial, you know, uh, set of challenges I faced. Sure. And then growing up, of course, like we all do, we have heartbreaks, you know, that we experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And then going off to college a little further away from my parents, Mm -hmm. uh, becoming more independent. Mm -hmm. And then as I got older, the challenges became bigger. So... When I was in my late 20s, my, my mother got very sick, mm-hmm. and um, I was already married at the time, so facing her illness, which was an early onset of dementia that she was diagnosed with, and oh, so wow. seeing her change in front of my eyes, mm-hmm. um, and then, of course, with her passing, uh, and then after that, you know, having children of my own, my dad was left as a widow, and then, you know, kind of helping him adjust to this new life with small children. I'm an only child, so a lot of pressure was on me to make this work. And then he, of course, also um, was went through disease, so I had to go become a caregiver for my dad as well. Mm-hmm. Again, once again, I you know resilience is just showing up over and over and helping me grow in terms of um, dealing with these challenges. And the final straw recently that happened was um, he passed. Of course, that was a huge setback for me. Mm-hmm. But shortly after, we were flooded in the hurricane in 2017, and we lost our home of 12 years. Oh, my goodness. So. (laughs) Wow. It doesn't end. (laughs) Um, Real quick, you touched on a couple things that I had mentioned in my blog post about resilience and change and having struggles early on in childhood. Right. I... 
the message that I was getting when I did my post was that these beautiful souls, these little young people who have challenging experiences at a young age tend to have a very great like natural ability to um, guide them into more resilience as they age and get older. There's something about, now I'm not an expert, I don't know exactly what this is, but there is something about having some tougher life experiences as a child and then growing up even into adolescence and growing up and having to overcome those things, figuring out a way to overcome those things. And the second thing that you mentioned were natural disasters. Mm. This is also something that came up in my blog post was we need to learn how to be resilient because mother nature is changing drastically more so now than ever and we have to learn to adapt to be flexible to to go with the flow that is completely out of our control so i can't imagine what that was like for you i've never experienced a hurricane but i i can imagine that was devastating and absolutely i mean i picked up on those points when i was listening to your uh talk on resilience as mm. well and mm -hmm. You know, the truth is, as I, you know, address this question on how resilience became such a core topic yeah. uh, in my life coaching, mm -hmm. the truth is, as human beings, we haven't changed our wiring. You know, we're the same people we were from generations back. Mm. But we are now facing unprecedented uncertainty, geopolitical, economic pressures, climate changes, mm -hmm. um, you know, as we all faced uh, situations like the pandemic, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yes. And we have to, in a way, invest in our mental health, in our mental fitness and resilience to be able to address these challenges. Because as you and I know, the challenges are not going to go away. No. But mm -mm. what helps is how we respond to them. Mm -hmm. So facing the challenges as a young kid definitely helped me, you know, in mm -hmm. building that resilience gradually instead of it just being thrown in my face as an yeah. adult. And I'm grateful to my parents that they trusted me and it gave me that space mm -hmm. to actually, you know, build that confidence, which I did. Mm -hmm. The confidence was a gift mm -hmm. of these setbacks and other qualities that I, um, you know, improved on mm -hmm. as a result of um, tackling these changes mm -hmm. in the best I could, in, in, in the best positive mindset that I could. Mm -hmm. um, so for sure, I think it's the past experiences for me, mm -hmm. as well as the current climate of uncertainty and change that made me realize how important resilience is mm -hmm. uh, in helping my clients uh, yes. in our coaching. So you not only came to coaching with this wonderful built-in kind of background and experience to resilience, but you as a life coach, a lot of your teachings as a life coach is based off of the foundation of resilience. Yes, that's correct. So mm -hmm. um, with my clients, mm -hmm. I offer a mental fitness program, which mm -hmm. is through positive intelligence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a foundation of my coaching. Mm -hmm. So this mental fitness program helps my clients build their core, three core mental muscles mm. so that they can tackle any change in a more positive versus mind, uh, negative mindset. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I've I brought it as a sort of framework into my, my coaching practice mm -hmm. uh, because I have seen, you know, um, when I do coach on relationships or performance or well-being, mm -hmm. how much resilience matters. Yeah. 
You know, our ab- our ability to recover from setbacks right. is is key to all, all our challenges in a right. way. You right. Know? One of the things that came up too for me with resilience is how to teach my child to be more resilient. And he's got a pretty sweet life. <laughs> I mean, he's, right. he's got a lot of things very much, you know, nurtured, taken care of. And um, and as a parent, and this could be a whole nother podcast uh, topic, but just to kind of put it out there too, I'm trying to figure out ways to make my little six-year-old more resilient sure. because these are the things that are going to guide him through his life, you know, that I'm that are like a tool that he's really going to need. And sometimes I feel like, um, you know, we make things really comfortable. We make things real easy. And right. my childhood was nothing like his. <laughs> and I'm I'm a lot tougher, though, I think maybe because of that. Like, yeah, my childhood, I had some an interesting, interesting upbringing, but I'm grateful for some of those hard lessons that I learned early on. And sometimes I worry about like, you know, maybe creating too much of a rosy environment or rose tinted glasses for my child, because you want the best for them. You want them to be happy. You want them to be comfortable. But then there's this really important muscle that maybe he's not accessing enough. So that's just something I a little bit worry about as a parent. <laughs> and that's such that's such an important um, topic. Yeah. It, it's yeah. actually one that comes up a lot in my coaching oh, really? practice. Yes, mm-hmm. with parents that mm-hmm. are struggling with, you know, how to raise their children in a more using tools that address their challenges in a more positive way. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, the internet is there to give oh, yeah. them almost an overload of information. Yes. And then that becomes very difficult for them to really reflect on as far as what sits well with them. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I know helped me again as a child is that my parents gave me the space to fail. You know? That's brilliant. They gave you the space to fail. Yes. I love that. I love that. They, They somehow had this trust and I feel trust is so essential here. Mm-hmm. Um, trust in me, of course, as, as their child. Trust in um, themselves as a parent. But more importantly, trust in the bigger picture. You know, trust in wow. the universe, you could say, that things will work out. And, and I think that um, kept them from hovering over me and trying to prevent those failures and allowing me to grow and be gifted with each one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've just got so many other things now racing through my mind because that is that is really mindful of your parents, right? And I don't know if, um, you know, I think all, all parents, they want to keep their kids safe and, you know, not let them fail. And um, having that mindfulness to let you fail, did you feel free from, with your parents? Did you feel like, I, you know, not... Like they weren't helicopter parents, or did you did you feel a sense of uh, ownership of your life that you really you know everything you do is on you and consequences are on you and you know how did that make you feel? So I have to tell you, my mm-hmm. circumstances were a little different than okay. most. Okay. okay, because I had immigrant parents who sure. immigrated to again the UK in the '60s and then moved to the US in the 1970s. So part of why they gave me the space is because really they didn't know. They didn't know how 
what you know how to raise this child in a different country mm-hmm. um so i think that helped absolutely you know mm-hmm. in giving me that space once again um but i i do feel my my mother particularly was a woman of faith her mm-hmm. faith was always strong and she um thankfully passed that faith on to me growing up and i I always felt like she just knew intuitively that it would work out, mm. that, you know, whatever challenge was given my way, um, I could handle it. To give you an example, um, mm. my mom never drove a car. So mm. imagine in the U.S. Yeah. Oh, raising a child. Oh, that's so difficult. Yes. I don't know how she would do that or not do that. Yes. So in Texas, where we where I grew up, it was there was no mass transit for the most part when you were in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, so without a car, you couldn't take your kid to any extracurricular activities. You couldn't even take your young child to school if you weren't zoned for the buses. Mm-hmm. But my mom, she just said, you know what? It's okay. Kindergartens, if you don't go, you can stay home and watch Sesame Street. And we'll go through some books together. And um, as wow. I got older, yeah, I know. Mo- that, that blows was be- my mind completely. <laughs> that would be like unheard of nowadays, yeah, right? Like totally. Mm-hmm. We would have all our saboteurs, all the negative talk that mm-hmm. we would listen to saying, we're going to traumatize our kid for life. Mm-hmm. But again, for her, she had such a big perspective, big uh, picture perspective on things that she said, okay, I can't drive a car. I'm going to do my best with her at home. And then, you know, we'll figure it out from there. And of course, I, I you know, went through school and everything fine. But when I became 15 and I couldn't participate in activities, realizing there was no one to take me, I got the hardship license. Mm. So I got my license a little earlier than most kids. And I was taking my mother to the grocery store, wow. taking her to the doctor's appointments. So in the process, um, I developed empathy for my mom mm-hmm. and those in her position that, again, were immigrants that were not necessarily comfortable in this new country. And, you know, what can I do? Because I can help them out. Mm-hmm. So some of it, I'll tell you, Samantha, was because of my circumstances, but some of it was her faith and her mm-hmm. trust mm-hmm. in both myself and uh, the bigger picture. I can see how her example with her faith and you have feeling that security with her faith probably just transferred over to you very naturally. Like, you know how we are always told lead by example. Well, she was just naturally being an example of security for you and that everything's going to be just fine. And so then you go, oh, yeah, that's what my that's how my mom lives. I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to pull that into me. And you just absorb that. So that's that's beautiful. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, It's absolutely a contagion effect. mm. And, you know, we worked so hard in coming up with the rhetoric to talk to our children. But I believe, just from my own experience, Mm -hmm. so much of it's from our modeling, our behavior. Yes. Just like you mentioned. Yes. So you're right. I mean, if I go back and I just think about it, it was just watching her, Uh you know, watching her handle things with just ease and flow and giving me that responsibility early on and trusting me to be able to handle it. Right. That, you know, I started those initial steps towards resilience. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to change a little bit here. Um, So talking about you as a coach today, was there one thing in your life, in your life path, where you always wanted to be a coach or did something happen and you were like, hey, this coaching thing, this is for me? Like, how did this come about for you? That's a really great question. Um, one that I haven't been asked a lot, so I'm excited to <laughs> <Okay>. answer. <laughs> great. <laughs> so um, 
I think I've always been um, that person that pe- my friends came to uh-huh. for deeper conversations. Yes. Um, just to getting a better understanding of who they are mm-hmm. and allowing them that space to explore themselves without judgment, mm-hmm. without, um, you know, my opinions. I have been able to do that because, again, I go back to my circumstances. When I moved around a lot, it was really hard for me to make friends, being the new kid oh, a lot. I imagine. Absolutely. Yes. You know, I had to try extra hard using my soft skills, right, mm. um, to draw people to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that I worked hard to sort of um, talk to the kid, the other kid that was new or perhaps in a wheelchair or, you know, felt different. And I started gaining those skills. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I really didn't know what to do with them. Because again, coming from my background, I was expected to pick a profession that, you know, was well-respected, was that earned well, that always would allow me to have a job. Mm-hmm. So I started my profession as a CPA. And oh, <laughs> very different. Very different, yeah. indeed. Like, strengths, like what yeah. a great choice. What a logical, great choice to make your parents proud. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I always say, I believe, again, these setbacks and, and difficulties we face eventually form a roadmap to help us get to where we are. Mm-hmm. So my years as a CPA were perhaps at max 10 years when mm-hmm. I was younger. Mm-hmm in the corporate world. And then again, as I had these setbacks, my, my parents getting sick, us having children, you know, facing a devastation, mm-hmm. um, it didn't allow me to keep working in the corporate world. And as I started recognizing that I need to take care of myself, mm-hmm. that was the first step in me starting my yoga practice, which, uh, yes. as you know, I'm a yoga teacher as well. That's right. Mm-hmm. And understanding how these mind-body practices um, not only help us in our physical resilience and strength, but also in our mental resilience. Um, so that was one stepping stone towards coaching. And then when I came to Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. after the flood, mm-hmm. Um, I was blessed to be able to teach here in the community um, at the studio, and I loved it. And then shortly after, someone um, got the news that I have this mind-body uh, experience with mm-hmm. you know, intervention, and they asked me to work for the company here. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled to bring in my tools to help the mental well-being of employees at this company. Yes. And it was very important that that was done not using the typical taboo words in the Middle East, which are mm. stress, anxiety. Um, you I know. I actually, I didn't know those were taboo words. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. So it, for, for Muslim people, those why are those taboo words? Do you know? So I think um, just overall in the Eastern region of the world, mm-hmm. it's still not completely accepted that you could have you know mental challenges okay. without... You know, without being a fault of your own. I see. Right. So I think it's difficult for them to acknowledge these mental challenges, excuse me, (coughs) without blaming themselves. Mm -hmm. So we were constantly told in our work to help people become aware of them without using, you know, these mental health type words. Mm -hmm. So in the process, as I was doing my work with employees, I... I started inadvertently coaching and I didn't even know I was doing it. Oh, wow. Until a colleague of mine said, you know, your one-to-one sessions are so similar to the competencies expected of an executive coach or a life coach. 
And I couldn't believe it, you know? I was like... <laughs> it's <just> so natural. <laughs> I really didn't know much about the profession, to be honest with yeah. you, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. I, I heard of psychologists, therapists, but coaching was... I was like, what is that, you know? That's right. just what I do to get to know people on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And if they tell me what they want to work on, I just try to help them get there. Right. And so this colleague of mine was like, okay, it's time for you to look into this field and start growing your skills there. And so... Once again, you know, it was this experience at the company, but then it was the experience where we all got let go and COVID came along that really propelled me to move forward Mm -hmm. on gaining a deeper understanding and then eventually getting trained in the profession. So is it a stretch to say, I'm just going to ask this, that maybe COVID was a good thing for you? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yes. COVID. um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, COVID was a gift and I talk a lot about gifts and yes. I know you do too. Yes. Uh, in, in terms of receiving these setbacks mm-hmm. and I received this big gift box mm-hmm. with, um, coaching inside of it from COVID, which I never thought I would because my, like myself and many others around me, especially in Saudi Arabia, saw this circumstance as just being negative. Right. As just being bad for us. You know, holding us back in our careers, mm. possibly, you know, prompting them to let us go as part-time employees at the yep. time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, being in the house with our families, our all kids. All the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. So it was really hard to see it mm-hmm. in a positive way. Mm-hmm. But eventually I received this um, this gift of a profession that I knew nothing about previously but I absolutely love and, and enjoy so much. Mm. That's become my calling. Well, I love that because, um, well, there's so many things that we could dive into just with that alone, but there is a gift in making ourselves stop and pause and go inward because we don't have a choice. And COVID for me was kind of the big pause, the big that just stopped our lives and made us go inward a lot more, made us really go, okay, what, who am I? What am I? What is, what is my life really about? And then somehow, through some miracle, we're given time and space to breathe a little bit, to get out of a rat race, to connect more mm-hmm. deeply with who we are. Of course. And I feel that there was no way all of us could have connected with ourselves in the way that we did during the peak of COVID um, if we didn't have COVID. We just, there's, why would we do that? Why would we go that inward and spend that much time with ourselves, spend that much time with our family? You know, um, so. Again, that could be another podcast. So, but I want to stay on track with you because there's just so much to talk about. Um, so, coaching obviously became successful for you. It became sort of a, a, a no brainer, like a very easy transition for you. Absolutely. Right? Yes, yeah. it did. And mm-hmm. again, I go back to yoga being my stepping stone mm-hmm. because it was through the practice of yoga. As, and it was during my dad's cancer mm. that I started. So it wasn't that long ago. It was about eight years ago. Okay. That helped me understand, you know, how connected our mind bodies are and how going inward 
can affect our resilience towards um, facing a setback such as my father being ill and dying. Mm. Um, and then using those um, resources in my coaching with people. Mm -hmm. And it all kind of came together. Yeah, you know? sounds like it. And then this program that I, I got certified in, which is this mental fitness program mm -hmm. in building resilience, all kind of, you know, just fell into place um, with my mind-body knowledge, the coaching um, certification and, and studying that I did, and then bringing it to people in a way they can actually apply it in mm -hmm. their life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of resilience and what it is, but how do we empower people to you know, with tools to actually practice it. Exactly. And and that's what really came through for me in, in my coaching. And it wasn't it wasn't just a quick um, transition. It, it took some time. Mm -hmm. But what I saw is I was using my strengths, um, more of my inherent strengths in coaching than I ever did as a CPA. Mm. So wanting to learn about it, wanting to see what I could bring to my clients, how I could grow, help them grow, was just like a full-time job that I enjoyed, you know, mm. often into the wee hours of the night that I wanted to read about and learn and and just especially during that pandemic time help them come out of. Mm -hmm. So um, absolutely, I, I think, you know, the, the two are related, uh, the two uh, areas of my life, both yoga and the coaching, and, and that led to the success of it today. Mm -hmm. um, you said the word enjoyed. Now, I'm going to piece, take that apart a little bit more and just focus on joy. So would you say the coaching is synonymous with inner joy for you? 100%. 100%. Because yeah. if people and if clients are feeling that resonate off of you, your mm -hmm. natural joy with doing this work, there is something very tangible that people feel. And it's not just enjoying, it's more like you're in joy while doing the work. And as well with yoga, too. But the coaching, I think, um, I, I'm just um, feeling so much, sorry, when I'm, when I'm feeling so much of how this just aligns so well with the being that you are and the history, your history and everything. And the abundance comes when we radiate joy. I'm sorry, it just does. I couldn't agree with you And more. the abundance can be of very fulfilling interactions with your clients where you know you are in service to them and you are helping them on that, that very deep level. And, um, and then also as the more clients come in, abundant. And abundant isn't, isn't always like a monetary thing, which it can be, which is wonderful. But I think it's, I think it's many layered abundance. Yes, so that so that joy has been abundant for me, mm -hmm. has brought me abundance since I started this profession. And I think that I started to really look at my values mm -hmm. that I wanted to serve with this profession. And one of my values was making a difference in other people's lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. And using my strengths that were just natural to me. You know, I, I did a strengths, and I do this for my clients, I did a strengths sort of um, assessment. And the top five strengths that I, I received were empathy, and then mm. connectedness, mm. adaptability, um, developing people. So those were huge indicators mm. that up until that time, I was not using my strengths in my profession, and now I had the opportunity to do so. Mm. So that also helped in 
myself feeling that joy Mm -hmm. as I was using those strengths and serving my values of impacting someone else in a positive way. Mm -hmm. You know, like I mentioned from a young age, I was already doing that. I was doing that for my mother or for the, the new kid in the school or... Um, you know, my friend whose parents recently got divorced. Mm -hmm. I was sort of acting in that capacity without knowing it because of the setbacks I was facing. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, now I've been able to come into this profession and permeate this joy, feeling it authentically. Yes, absolutely. And then permeate it, give off that energy to someone else. And from what I've heard, at least, I'm humbled to say that it's been received. Yeah. What is the most, um, I know you get a lot of questions that uh, people come to you with that, you know, when they're, when they're in need of help, they're in need of your service. Is there one particular question or a couple questions or several questions that really strike a chord deep within you when you hear it? Like, you know, why am I struggling with X, Y, and Z? Or when somebody comes with you, comes to you with a question, is there a question that you hear repeatedly or something that really goes, okay, this is a really big issue that I'm excited to tackle. So it's interesting because um, much of coaching is Mm goal-driven. But people aren't always used to bringing goals um, into the coaching session. Okay. So we start off with a topic. Okay. And the topic usually relates to some kind of setback, you know, some kind of situation that they're facing. Mm -hmm. Whether it be in a circumstance such as... um, you know, they've lost their father, mm-hmm. they're experiencing death, or um, their child is unfortunately going down the wrong path, you know, or they are um, experiencing, they want something they want more from their jobs, and they don't know how to get there. So there is some challenge or setback. And from there, we slowly dissect it into a series of goals so Mm. that they can be achievable and attainable. Mm -hmm. And we work through those, of course, in each session, in each one-hour session. But I think the question that I think really hits me the most is when people say, you know, I used to be a certain way before. You Mm. know, I used to be motivated. I used to have this great energy. I used to want to see people and engage with my child. And I just don't feel that anymore. Uh, Wow. And I want yes. to get that back. So that that question that hits you that that really stirs up some feelings in me, and 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 I just my empathy level for them just is super high, and I, I want to again break it down for them so we can eventually get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So some of the things we were making a list of some of the things that you do, and um. You talked about the um, to grow your three core mental muscles in challenging times. Can you explain that a little bit more? What are those? So in this positive intelligence program that I, I mentioned earlier that um, helps people gain a mental fitness regimen, mm-hmm. um, we explore three core mental muscles. Mm-hmm. And these three muscles, as a result of the research that's been done, there's been some factor analysis work done Mm -hmm. that's identified the root level of mental fitness driving our mental resilience. Mm. And at the root level, we've discovered that there are really just three muscles. The first one is our saboteur interceptor. Okay. The second muscle is our 
sage muscle, what we call in the program our sage muscle, but it's really building that intuitive part of our brain. Mm -hmm. And the third muscle is our muscle of self-command. So, you know, if I were to, sounds like Greek right now, translate it Mm -hmm. for you. Yes. Starting with the first one, the saboteur interceptor muscle. So what are our saboteurs? It's really how we go negative, Mm. you know, how we hear that negative talk. And the analogy I love to use is we keep our hand on a hot stove, okay? Mm. Mm -hmm. So the saboteurs are sort of the elements in our brain that constantly, you know, prolong that negative chatter and Mm -hmm. make us Mm self-sabotage. And what we're doing in this program is that we're trying to build our awareness of them. So what are they? What are their characteristics, their thought process, um, the emotions, the negative emotions that they stir stir up in us, like the blame, shame, anger, sadness, um, insecurities that we have. Mm -hmm. These are all the result of saboteurs. And so we gain that awareness of their emotions, their thoughts, characteristics, and their lies and how they lie to us. Mm. So as we gain that understanding, we're building our awareness And as we build our awareness, we start to see them showing up in our lives and we learn to stop them. We learn to stop these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And hence, that first muscle is what we're building. We're trying to become aware of the saboteurs and then intercept them before allowing them to do too much damage. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we're trying to, if I use that visceral um, example, we're getting our hand off the hot stove, right? Right. So that, that's one of the very important muscles that we're building. The second muscle, the sage muscle, is all about waking up or activating the positive side of the brain, mm-hmm. where our positive emotions live. Mm-hmm. So are that calm, clear, peaceful side of the brain that we often feel after, say, meditation or a mindfulness practice, you know, where we're no longer preoccupied by the data-driven mind, the analytical mind. We're able to see more of a big picture. Mm-hmm. We're able to be more creative with our thought process and solutions. Mm-hmm. So that's the part, that's the muscle we're actually trying to build. We're trying to awaken uh, as part of the second uh, mental muscle. Mm-hmm. And the third mental muscle, being the muscle of self-command, really comes down to the how. So how are we switching from that saboteur-driven mind Mm -hmm. to that sage or positive side of the mind? Mm -hmm. And when we have a strong self-command muscle, we can consciously um, be more aware of our emotions Mm -hmm. and consciously let go of the stress and anxiety of things that we can't control. Oh, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And recover from setbacks and difficulties a little bit faster mm-hmm. as we remove that hand off the hot stove, remove ourselves from dwelling in those negative emotions. Mm-hmm. So we have found in the research and science behind this program that these are the core mental muscles to work on you know, during the most difficult times. And that eventually helps us overall build our resilience. Mm-hmm. I think people are struggling with so much these days. Um, I mean, they generally people are struggling with a lot, but you know, when we get into um, people's lives, I think it's important to recognize those saboteurs. It's important to recognize that people do have this inner sage, right? And then this command brain to just really learn how to let go, right? So I think this is just excellent, excellent um, work for clients to learn about and to 
not get into these downward spirals. You know, it's so easy for us to talk ourselves into like a bad situation being worse if we're if we if we can't get pulled out of the spiral. And um, I love this. I think this is amazing. And um, it's important to give people tools. Like I call this kind of like your resilience toolbox. Like you have lots of tools. Sure. But this to me, I was like, this is really interesting. And for me, um, you also talked, so it's the sage muscle, the sage perspective. Of course, that's the one I like hone in on. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the one I can relate to the most. Sure. Um, so do you ever, do you ever have clients where they're like, they just can't get there? They, they, they just, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have this thing that you're, this sage brain you're talking about. And, and, you know, what kind of conversations happen there? And what do you do when somebody gets to that point where they're like, I'm stuck. I can't go inward. I can't find my intuition. I, d- I don't know what to do. Sure. Because that personally for me kind of fascinates me because that's something that I can jump to almost maybe too quickly. So what is it like when somebody's stuck in that point and they can't find that sage inside them? So oftentimes, I'm going to go back actually to the saboteurs. Yes. Because the first step is recognizing one's saboteurs before even activating their sage, you know. So learning about what is holding them back Mm -hmm. from being able to wake up that wisdom, Mm -hmm. that intuitive side of their mind. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we talk about a lot in our coaching is the different forms of saboteurs that are present in their lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest saboteurs in all of us is the judge. Oh, yes, the judge. The judge, right? We all have that presence of the judge. And so we explore the three modalities of the judge. Um, First of all, it being in the form of an inner critic. So the one that shows up in the middle of the night, and I know we've all been there, Mm -hmm. and is like, Samantha, Mm -hmm. you could have done this a little better yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm. So berates us for past mistakes mm-hmm. at the same time can also wake us up and say, you know, there's something you have coming up, but you're going to fail because, you know, you're just not there yet. Mm-hmm. So berates us for future imperfections. It's just a voice. It's not us. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's that inner critic presence of the judge that we become, we learn to become aware of mm-hmm. that holds us back. Mm-hmm. The second modality of the judge that we explore, and one that is a lot more common, is how we judge others. Yep. We're constantly judging others. Mm. We're constantly looking at their negative versus their positive, you know, saying the same sort of thing. They're not smart enough. They're not good enough. They're not young enough, whatever it is. And we're drawing conclusions about them, right? Mm. But the third mode of the judge, which is the one that I think a lot of people don't think of, and that's the judge of our circumstances. Mm-hmm. So as I talked about, this judge or saboteur that says the pandemic is bad, or us living in Saudi Arabia is bad, or you know <laughs> my, my parent having a terminal illness is bad. Mm. Of course, to some extent, it is. It is a setback. But to keep, to stay there, to dwell in those negative emotions created by our judge is really what prevents us from going towards the more positive use of our brain, Mm -hmm. of our mindset. Mm -hmm. And what we learn is the different ways the judge is very strong in our mindset, Mm -hmm. but also how there are nine other accomplice saboteurs that are also partners with the judge. Okay. And I won't bore you with the nine. Oh, okay. Well, you can. I'm all all ears. (laughs) I mean, 
it's fine if you want to, but if you want to, you have the floor. Go ahead. <laughs> so I thought about it and I was like thinking about maybe some of the most common ones. Okay. okay. Yes. Let's go with the most common ones. So one common saboteur that I coach on is our controller. Yes. So, you know, the controller that says to us, again, the voice in our head that works with the judge and says, if you're not in control of every situation in your life, it's going to fail. Mm, okay. Right. So that voice that, again, creates that anxiety, that stress and lies to us because as we know, and as an example I gave you growing up, mm-hmm. you don't have to, you know, be in control. You can give that control to somebody else and watch them grow and mm. empower them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a saboteur voice that holds us back, mm. these negative emotions. Mm-hmm. The other one I've seen a lot, and I know especially a lot of women can um, relate to, is the pleaser saboteur. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. pleasing everyone all the time, you know, making sure everyone around us is happy. Because the lie of the pleaser is, if you don't make sure they're not happy, you won't be loved or accepted. Right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so often that takes us away from our own self-care, from drawing boundaries of what's good for us, right? Mm-hmm. So again, self-sabotaging our own well-being at the, at the cost of, you know, taking care of others, mm-hmm. right? Constantly. Mm-hmm. And another saboteur, which is very common, is the avoider saboteur. Mm. Yes. Right? And so people come a lot of times to my session and they say procrastination is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. You can relate, huh? Mm-hmm. I know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And along with that, um, procrastination of avoiding tasks, but it also relates to conflict avoidance. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yes. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Those conflict avoiders, I know them well. Yes. Mm-hmm. So as we all know, again, that voice in our head that's saying, you know what? You're just better off avoiding that person than really expressing how you feel mm. because temporarily that's mm. going to give you some relief. Mm. That's going to give you some peace. Mm. Is, isn't that what you're after? Mm-hmm. But in the back of our minds, we know, especially if this is an important relationship, this is something we have to resolve. We should resolve. Mm-hmm. So again, creating that unnecessary stress and anxiety in us as we hear those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, again, same going uh, along with those uh, avoiding the conflicts avoiding Mm -hmm. tasks Mm -hmm. so you know something like taxes the other day somebody came in and said i just can't get myself to do my taxes or can't get myself to um you know work on the garden so we really go deep in under understanding how these saboteurs are speaking to them how they are messing around with them and once they understand that again the characteristics of these um ways that they go negative they're able to intercept them Mm. a lot faster So one analogy I like to use is, it's like we're creating a wanted poster Mm -hmm. of criminals. Mm. And these saboteurs being the way, again, we go negative. So as we learn more about the way they lie to us and their characteristics, we're able to like see them, you know, and then stop them in action. I like that. Wow. I mean, there's just so much here. We can just (laughs) pull the layers of the onion off. Um, And... Gosh, the saboteurs, the sage muscles. Um, Well, we're going to kind of slowly wrap this up a little bit because, you know, we could go on forever. But um, you said you have a 10-second exercise to activate the region of your brain where your greatest wisdom and power lives. 
Absolutely. And I would love to share that with the listeners um, because this is something that, you know, what a, a special little treat here at the end. And, um, and there's just, there's so much stuff, so much beautiful, so many beautiful things that you've said, but I would love to have this 10 second exercise. So please share, share with us what that is. Sure. So here we are talking about these, what we call our PQ reps and PQ reps are like dumbbell reps that we do at the gym to build our physical muscle. Oh yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So PQ reps are also, um, repetitions that we do to build our mental muscle. And so going back to this framework, now we're working on the self, the self-command muscle. So we're working on growing our command of our mind, not letting our saboteurs run the show, mm-hmm. letting us, our sage, run the show. Mm. So essentially with these practices, which I'm going to demonstrate in just a second, we are able to shift from that saboteur-driven mind to the sage, which you mentioned comes so easily to you. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is really the toolbox for that. Mm. So I'll take a few minutes or a moment rather and just, you know, walk through a couple of them. Okay. So the first PQ rep or eight to 10 second rep that we're going to practice is a tactile rep. So sitting in your chair, being very comfortable, relaxed, keeping your feet on the ground, relaxing your shoulders, your back, keeping your head up forward. This is our physicality that we like to use for most of our mindfulness practices, which is essentially what these are. So as we keep our eyes closed, the first PQ rep I want to demonstrate is a tactile one where you're just going to rub your index and your thumb together. And we're just going to gently rub these two fingers together Acknowledging, of course, thoughts that enter the mind, being kind to ourselves, releasing those thoughts, bringing our full awareness and attention to the sensation of touch. Now we can just relax the practice, resting our hands on our laps. As I just demonstrate one more example of a PQ rep that involves using the breath as our anchor. So for this PQ rep, just place your right hand on the stomach, which is the center of our awareness. And just take a breath, inhaling, watching your stomach expand, As you exhale, watch it collapse. And just keep going for eight to 10 seconds. Again, allowing those thoughts to enter the mind, but then releasing them, bringing your full awareness and attention to the physical sensation of breath and the movements in your body.
Now we can just relax the practice. Take a few breaths. And slowly open your eyes to your surroundings. And how are you feeling, Samantha? <laughs> Very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, that really works. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, a lot of people relate to this in terms of being meditators or mindfulness practitioners. But what we've done is we brought meditation and mindfulness down to the root level of practice mm. so that we can really do this anywhere. We can. Mm-hmm. We have an app that helps us, of course, with a guided practice, do this preemptively, mm-hmm. especially during, especially stressful times, but also learning to do it in the moment in mm-hmm. response to situations mm-hmm. that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of different PQ reps. I just demonstrated two. And what does PQ stand for again? So PQ is positive intelligent quotient. So okay. like IQ, PQ. PQ. Yes. Got it. Thank you. Of course. Of course. So just the PQ rep is this measure of building that positive charge in you mm-hmm. which helps shift again yourself from that negative side of the brain the saboteur driven mind to a more positive outlook mm-hmm. with your challenges mm-hmm. before we end this beautiful conversation i have enjoyed enjoyed every second of this let's say there's somebody out there and i'm just gonna pick something very specific Dealing with major change coming up. And change can be quite the little monkey of the mind and cause a lot of stress and anxiety. Uh, Let's say a big move is coming, a big life change, career change, all kind of wrapped in one. What would be if you, I know this might be a little bit of a tough question, but if there's some words of advice that you might have to help soothe a listener's soul who has like really big change coming up on the horizon where they there's a lot of unknown mm. a lot of they don't they can't control mm-hmm. the situation mm-hmm. maybe as as much as they would like and their monkey mind is going crazy but they know the change has to come mm-hmm. um, is there anything that you can think of from your little toolbox that you would like to tell them? Great question. So I think, you know, in preparing for any change, and as I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, that as human beings, we're wired the same, we haven't changed, but Mm -hmm. change is constantly coming our way. Yes. So I would tell this person that, first of all, we're all human, right? Mm -hmm. We're all imperfect in our own ways. Mm -hmm. And we all have these voices that hold us back. Mm-hmm. So let's get to know those voices. Let's get to know those saboteurs, perhaps, that are a little more pronounced in you, mm-hmm. such as the judge and the accomplice saboteurs. Mm-hmm. And what's really holding you back? What mm-hmm. is creating that fear mm-hmm. in approaching this um, setback and change? And then I would say simply, you know, trust yourself. Have that trust, right? <laughs> and I think it comes with time. Mm-hmm. And again, building that awareness of how we go negative. Mm-hmm. But trust yourself that you can handle it. You have what's inside of all of us. Those positive emotions, those you know, positive things that we 
have in the brain that are sometimes overshadowed by the negative, but they're in there. Mm-hmm. So let me help you bring that out. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you can trust yourself to allow it to happen mm-hmm. and, and trust me to become your partner in this journey in addressing the changes that are coming up for you. Wonderful. I know. Trust. Sometimes it's hard to trust ourselves. Of course. And I think remembering to do that and knowing that you can, you can handle change. You can. And you are resilient and you will be resilient. Um, So thank you so much for coming on to Soul Journey This has been amazing. I've learned so much about you. I've learned so much about your process. I hope that our listeners um, can take something really wonderful away from this conversation, bring it into their lives. And then I will be sharing all of your information and how to contact you, how to find you. And so if anybody's interested in working with you, they will know exactly where you are. So thank you so much, Rashmi. Samantha, it's been my joy to sit here and talk to you about a very important topic to both of us, and that's helping people build their resilience. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for this opportunity and the space that you've created for me to help expand our audience and and help them and help them trust, help them trust themselves and know that they can build resilience just like everybody else. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Mm -hmm.